All right, church family, grab your Bibles if you have them and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. To Uzbekistan, it's Daniel Rosenblum. To Zimbabwe, it's Brian Nichols. To Sri Lanka and the Maldives, it's Elena Teplitz. To Paraguay, it's Emily McClenny. To North Macedonia, it's Kate Marie Burns. To Algeria, Australia, Belize, and Bolivia, it's a vacant position. What am I talking about? I'm talking about ambassadors. As a nation, the United States of America sends ambassadors to nations around the world. These ambassadors have embassies and cities around the globe, maneuvering diplomacy, seeking good between the U.S. and her interests abroad. And as we'll see, church family, in our study this afternoon, much like an ambassador, ambassador who is sent out, each and every Christian has been sent out as an ambassador for a heavenly kingdom. So, church, we have not been in Luke's gospel for quite some time. I think the last time was mid-August. But today we return to this gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We began this study back in September of 2019 in a very different world and have interrupted it at times to go other places in God's Word, most recently Proverbs. That is our common practice here at Loudoun Valley, to try to get, as much as we can, a full-orbed view of the whole counsel of God's Word, which would mean going in and out of prophets to gospels to letters to what Lee preached for us a couple weeks ago from an Old Testament narrative. But today we're back in Luke and I'm excited about it. You may remember Luke was a a first century doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul during certain points of his ministry. Uh, He didn't actually have personal first-hand experience with Jesus in the flesh, but as we see in the introduction in Luke 1, Luke has been very conscientious as a historian in documenting the true story about Jesus. So I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1. So turn there, if you haven't yet, to the first four verses. And let's just reread Luke 1, 1 through 4 to remember, to remind ourselves why Luke is undertaking this huge task to write parts 1 and 2 of the Jesus story. So Luke and what Luke will write later, the Acts of the Apostles. So Luke 1, 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I went back and looked at my notes from that sermon back in 2019 and If you want to look it up on the website, look it up and listen to it again. I was encouraged just to remind myself how reliable Luke's history is in this gospel. 
His method is historically reliable, and his purpose is clear. He's not trying to hide what he's trying to do, and that is to give his readers and you and me certainty about the life and work of Jesus. Over our studies in this book, we've covered quite a bit of material already. We've seen the prophecy and then the fulfillment of the birth of Christ. We've seen the prophecy and then the fulfillment of the birth of John the Baptist. We've seen the the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist and then the coming of Jesus, his maturing into a young man in the temple and then an adult, his temptation by Satan in the desert that preceded his public ministry, and then the first part of of his public ministry, complete with all the miracles and the teachings and the parables. And today, we come to chapter 9. And church, Lord willing, as we continue in chapter 9 in the weeks to come, we're going to see chapter 9 is sort of a, a hinge point in Luke. Sort of a hinge to a new section in his gospel. In this chapter, Jesus' ministry in Galilee will draw to a close, and he will set his face to go to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified and rise again. And today, we begin this hinged chapter by seeing Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. And church, my prayer for myself first, and then for us as a church family, as we see this first commission of the apostles, is that we as a church would be convicted, challenged, and compelled to go out with this same message to a world that desperately needs to hear it. So, turn from Luke 1 to Luke 9. And we'll read the first nine verses together. Luke 9, starting in verse 1. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Three simple S points this morning. Sender, sent, and seeker. The sender the sent, and the seeker. By God's grace, this will help us understand this passage and be able to go with a greater understanding and love and affection for Jesus than when we came. First, the sender. Look in verse 1 again. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Back in chapter 6, we saw Jesus call these very same 12 disciples. 
We saw in chapter 6 that he takes these disciples, a subsection of those who are following him, and he calls them apostles, sent ones, that means. They're Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and you guessed it, Judas Iscariot. Amazing that he was preaching the gospel, huh? These Jesus has selected and now commissions. He calls them together and he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, it's been a minute since we were in this book. So let's refresh our minds as to just who this sender is. See, the authority of Jesus has been one of the repeated themes in Luke's gospel thus far. So in chapter 4, verse 32, we saw Jesus' word possessed authority. In chapter 4, verse 36, we saw that he commanded unclean spirits with authority and power. In chapter 4, verse 39, we saw him stand over a woman and rebuke a fever, so it left her. In chapter 5, verse 17, we saw the, quote, power of the Lord with Jesus to heal. In chapter 5, verse 24, we saw his authority, believe it or not, even to forgive sins. In chapter 6, verse 5, he called himself even the Lord of the Sabbath. In chapter 6, verse 19, we saw that power came out from him and healed all who came to him. And most recently, we've been in chapter 8, where Luke lays out this series of evidences to the astonishing authority and power of Christ. It began with a storm that Jesus quieted with a mere word from his mouth. It escalated to a crazed demoniac whom no one could subdue, sitting in his right mind after an encounter with the Christ, freaking everybody out. That wasn't all. Next came power to heal even a woman who had, what Luke says, spent all her living on physicians and could not be healed by anyone. She touched Jesus' garment and her condition was cured instantly. That still wasn't all. In the very last passage we studied in Luke, we saw Jesus raise a girl to life who had died With the words, child, arise, death had met its master, and a young girl who seconds before had no pulse got up and ate lunch. Church, as the readers of Luke's gospel, we have been bombarded with this message that Jesus' authority is unique, unmatched, and shocking. People have been blown away by what he's taught and all the things they've seen him do. So just think about what we've seen in Luke and then read those verses again. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority. Jesus, this authoritative one, it's that Jesus who now sends his disciples away, not only with his message, but with his power. And they go. In verse 2, he commissions them and they go. 
Down in verse 6, Luke writes, They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The villages of Galilee will never be the same. Because Jesus is multiplying his ministry, sending out ambassadors in his 12 disciples. What an amazing ambassadorship he is entrusting them with. They're going out preaching good news that the kingdom of God has come. And Israel must repent and be ready. They must turn and get prepared to receive God's kingdom. See, the disciples understand Jesus' mission, not completely. It's not yet completely clear why Jesus Jesus has come, but he has indeed come, and they're going to understand this more in the years to come, to inaugurate a kingdom, the rule and reign of God, a kingdom Jesus himself will begin and then consummate when he returns. It's a kingdom not of this world. It's a kingdom not to beat up the Romans, but to beat up sin, death, and hell, and Satan forever. And so these apostles go out. We find here kind of in in embryonic form a passage that that's themes will just be felt for the rest of the New Testament and really the rest of history. Themes of God's people going out with God's message in God's power to those God desires to save. And so, Christian, we can see us ourselves in this passage as well, can't we? Christian, you too are sent. In fact, you cannot be a Christian and not be an ambassador for the king. It's part of who you are now. And get this. The message you're entrusted with, the gospel of Jesus Christ that the the apostles didn't know completely like we do now, sins forgiven, new life through the cross, home with Jesus forever through the resurrection power of Christ, that message, as you tell it, will not be limited by your lack of power, winsomeness, or persuasiveness. The power to see new life given comes not from you, but from the sender See, these disciples are sent out to what? They're sent out to exorcise demons and heal diseases. But those exorcisms and healings are not the main attraction. They're not the main point. They're there to point to the reality of the kingdom that's coming. See, Jesus has come not just to cast out demons, but to overthrow the prince of demons himself. Jesus has come not just to heal sicknesses of the body, but sicknesses of the heart. Sin-sick hearts. So some might still be called to confront demons and heal diseases today in 2021. But for all of us, the greatest miracles we'll be able to see as we live out our ambassadorship are when dead hearts are made alive through the message of the gospel. And that power only comes through Jesus. He works it out in us and through us. Christian, you are tasked to take the gospel to those perishing in their sin. But the good news of this passage reminds us you are not tasked to do that in your own power. Christians are not like Avengers. 
So you have, if you've ever seen any of the Marvel movies, you'll see how each Avenger has his or her own superpower or super brain smartness, whatever, right? And what happens when the Avengers come together for a mission is they're, and this is easier said than done, they, they try to unite all their individual powers together for good, usually for good, right? That's not how it works with the church. We're powerless to save anyone. When we come to our king, we don't come as ambassadors inbuilt with the superpower to persuade or to save. That power comes from Jesus alone. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't think hard about how to think well on topics like evangelism and apologetics. But it does mean we never forget where the power is coming from. Church, don't you see how incredibly encouraging that is? The fact that Jesus empowers you to share the gospel, and it's his power that can save anyone at all you talk to, means you can feel freedom from ever trying to coerce or push anyone into believing. The fact that Jesus empowers you to share the gospel, and it's his power that can save anyone at all, means you needn't fear any power greater than his. Brothers and sisters, we aren't called to be salesmen with just the right sales pitch. We're called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors who know something has changed. We're not who we once were. Things are different. We've tasted something far better than this kingdom here on earth has to offer. We've met a king who's far better than any president or prime minister this world has to offer. We serve him now, and we want others to get in on it with us. And Jesus empowers all of that. He sends us, but it's his power that saves Christian, rejoice in that. Maybe you just feel like you don't, you just, it's hard for you to share the gospel at all right now. Just get your mind off yourself for a little bit and think about the God who sent you. I mean, we didn't sing earlier, God has some great hopes and he's happy to save and he's got good intentions, his well wishes we have. Right? Tried to throw that all off tune by mistake. I mean, on purpose. No, he's saying God ruleth on high, almighty to save, and still he is nigh. His presence we have. That's the sender. He has all power and authority. And amazingly, he sends his ambassadors out in and with his powerful and authoritative gospel. That's the sender. Next, we see the sent. Look with me at verse 3. And Jesus said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. I don't know about you, but this is one of those passages that I've read and have no clue what it's talking about or why it's there, and I just keep going on to a passage that makes more sense. I mean, why 
Is Jesus commanding his disciples to go out with little to no preparation? Is he directing the next, like, hit survival show? What's going on? Three, three thoughts about why Jesus, or actually two, why Jesus might be doing this. First off, the, the disciples were not the only traveling teachers of their day. So there were others, philosophers, teachers, religious people, who made money in this kind of work. And so the disciples, Jesus desires, should be different. Take that bag there in verse 3. You see that bag Jesus mentions? That could refer to the purse a philosopher would take to store his cash. Take those instructions Jesus gives to stay in one place and not go from house to house. One New Testament scholar writes about, writes about that. He says, the disciples' practice of staying in one place contrasts with that of philosophers who went from house to house begging for support. His disciples are to live differently from others who travel with a religious message. So there's one good reason, right? Jesus is different. He's different than other gospels, other good news, other teachings. And his disciples are to look different as well. Another reason Jesus might be urging them to, to kind of take this, this uh, almost uncommon sense-like approach to traveling is to encourage dependence on him as a sender of the apostles. The twelve will need to learn trust in Jesus, won't they? Going out with not even a, 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 you know, not even a staff. They will go out with his power, and they're going to need to continue to rely on that power. And I love it later, later when, I think it's in chapter 22, when Jesus is talking again to his disciples, and this time death is a lot closer to Jesus. And he says, remember when I sent you out? Did you lack anything? And they said, no. Jesus is enough. And Jesus goes on to instruct them then how to take up lodging and how to evaluate the villages they go to. There will, by God's grace, be homes that open up to them. There's going to be people who listen and believe, but Jesus recognizes and he tells them, heads up, there's going to be those who do not receive you. Look at verse 5. Jesus instructs them that when a town does not welcome them, they're to dust off their feet as a show of judgment against them. See, for those who reject the kingdom drawing near, they're going to be liable for that rejection. This, this shaking off of the sandals isn't meant to be sort of a childish temper tantrum. It's not supposed to be mean-spirited. It's supposed to be a visible testimony to those in that village that they've rejected the offer that has been the invitation that's been given them. The kingdom has come near and they've squandered the opportunity and they're going to have to bear their guilt on their own heads. So these are the sent. They're going out in the power of the sender with a message of his kingdom. And again, the application is clear for us because we too have been sent Church family, we are ambassadors of the king. 
The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Church, this is the, the message of the gospel we carry. We have personal witness in our own spheres of influence as members in different workplaces and neighborhoods and families. But we're also witnesses to this gospel together right now in this room as we gather as a church, an outpost of the heavenly kingdom. In his recent book on worship, Matt Merker writes this. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. He identifies himself with us when we gather in his name. Our meetings right here, right now, are like a gathering of exiles on foreign soil. We declare our pledge of allegiance with the creed. We sing our national anthem in the hymns. We teach our constitution in the preaching of the word. This is who we are now. And so church family, I think the overriding question we need to apply to our lives today from this text is, what's holding us back from communicating this message with more joy and zeal than we do? Ambassadorship is not an option for the Christian. So why aren't we more eager with this mission? Lee hit on this earlier in his prayer. Maybe it's because we're most interested in ourselves. And it's hard to focus on others enough to invest time and build a relationship and share the gospel. Most of our days were so busy that we have our heads physically or metaphorically bent down at our own feet and our own itinerary and we have no wiggle room to look to the needs of those around us. Or maybe it's because we don't actually believe the gospel. I think that might be true for some of us. It's just tradition. It's just how we grew up. And so there's good reason we don't feel compelled to share it. Because other people have their traditions, and I have mine. Or maybe it's because the gospel has become old news for you. You just don't get all that excited about it anymore. Or maybe it's because you're immature in your faith and you don't see a failure to proclaim the gospel as actually an act of disobedience against your king. Or maybe it's because you just haven't experienced the joy of sharing the gospel recently. John Piper has said, one of the reasons we are not moved by our own faith it's because we almost never talk about it to any unbeliever. Church family, this, this is the point of conviction for us as a church and for me as your pastor. This has been what I've been challenging myself with as I think about this passage this week. And this isn't a guilt trip. It's a challenge. And we know what to do. We must repent of not loving Jesus and others enough to share the good news with them. And then, not spending too much time in the squalor of self-pity, we must rejoice afresh that our repentance is followed by the forgiveness of God through Christ. And then with that joy, we must obey and take opportunities to share 
instead of looking for reasons not to. Church, it's time for us to rev our evangelism engines. What better time than the wind down of a global pandemic to speak of the hope people can have in fear and death? It's time for us to rev our evangelism engines. It's time to be faithful and obedient, to hold each other accountable. How do you rev the engine? We'll put it in park first. Sorry. A great way to rev the engine, though, is to think deeply about the ways God has moved in the past, right? And there are different ways to do this. You could read a biography of a missionary like Hudson Taylor or Nate Saint or John Patton. You could ask your friends here in this church how they were saved. You might be surprised. Friends, stoke your affection for Jesus. And then dream about how he might use you to bring people to himself. That's the sender. That's the scent. But before we conclude, we need to see a seeker. And that's what we see in verses 7 through 9. So Jesus and his disciples are creating quite a stir in Galilee. News reports are circulating. The Galilee Times is running front page stories on Jesus and his teaching. And all this reaches the leader of the region named Herod. This is the same Herod we'll come across again in Luke. It's the same Herod Jesus will see hours before he's crucified. But for now, the Herod we see is just plain confused. Because as the news reaches him, it's conflicting. Fake news is not new to our century, folks. It's right here. As Jesus' fame extends, his reputation spreads, people are speculating about who he really is. Look at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. So Herod had had John beheaded, FYI. You can understand why he would be perplexed by this. And if you look in other gospel accounts, it seems like Herod's actually one of the ones proposing this idea. There are other theories of floating about as well. Look at verse 8. Maybe, maybe Elijah, who we see in Isaiah, kind of precedes the Messiah. Maybe this is Elijah. Maybe this is one of the other prophets. Herod's perplexed. And then he asks that age-old question that we see all throughout Luke's gospel and that many around us, maybe we don't know they're asking this. Maybe we do. Many around us are asking, and that is, who's Jesus? Who is this? See that? He says, who is this about whom I hear such things? It's cool. We'll see Peter a few verses down in a few weeks answer that question with great clarity, saying Jesus is the Christ. But for now we should be left perplexed as well with Herod. Right? We should feel his perplexity. He's seeking after Jesus, right? Passage ends, and he sought to see him. Now, this time, who knows what Herod wants with Jesus? So, he's a mixed bag. Later in Luke 13, the Pharisees will tell Jesus, hey, Herod wants to kill you. You should get out of here. 
And then in, in Luke 23, we see hours before Jesus is crucified. He goes before Herod. Herod's so elated, he finally gets to see Jesus. And what does Luke tell us there in Luke 23? He says, Herod had long desired to see Jesus. Why? He hoped to see some signs done by him. Herod wants a show. Jesus, at that point, right before his death, doesn't cooperate. Herod ends up treating him with contempt, sending him back to Pilate. So whatever Herod wants here in Luke 9, I'm not sure what's going on in his heart, but we know the end of Herod, and it is an end that does not want to follow Christ. In Luke 3, 23, it just seems he just wants to be impressed by Christ. And so this is a good question for all of us, even those of us who have called ourselves Christians for years. Why do you seek Jesus? Perhaps you're tuning in online or you're here and, and you actually don't understand yourself to be a Christian. I, I wonder, why, why do you even listen to a sermon like this? Why, why are you attending a service or watching online? Why, why, why do you seek Jesus? Is it for what he can do for you? Is it because you've just always done the church thing? Is it because you're curious about learning more spiritual things? You should keep seeking. But at some point, you need to make up your mind. Don't spend the rest of your life, friend, playing around with Jesus. As you seek him in his word, prayer through the people he has redeemed in the church, determine at some point whether you're going to submit to him as your king and believe he is who he says he is or reject him flat out. But please don't pretend you can just stay interested and nothing more. Jesus' message requires only two RSVPs, accept or reject. Which will it be for you? And friend, the wonderful thing about the gospel that we see in God's word is that you're not the only one seeking. Jesus is actually a seeker too, and he's seeking after you. See, we're all sinners. We all don't want God to be the ruler of our lives, and the Bible calls us spiritually dead in our sin. But then it goes on to say that when we could not go to God, he came to us. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross underneath his wrath for the sins of his people, for you and for me. Our sins deserved God's just judgment, but for those who will repent and believe, that judgment will fall on Christ. And that's good news. Won't you believe and be saved? If you have questions about that, we'd love to talk with you afterwards. So I'll be up here milling about, love to talk with you more about what it means to have your judgment placed on Christ and not on yourself. If you're tuning in online, uh, you can comment on Facebook or you can look up our email uh, on our website. We'd love to talk with you more. And church family, brothers and sisters, this is who we are. We are ambassadors. Loudoun Valley Baptist Church is an outpost of the kingdom. We are an embassy on foreign soil. We proclaim a kingdom not of this world. And that's good news because it's a kingdom that will last forever. So the question then is, are you proclaiming that message? Here's something to think about this evening. 
Christian, if you died tomorrow, would there be anyone in your life who would stop hearing the gospel because you were no longer around? Jesus is sending you. Are you going? Let's pray. Lord, we are convicted and challenged by Luke 9, 1 through 9. For those of us who are disobedient in this area, would you bring us to repentance for our reticence to speak? For those of us who are finding joy and success in this area, would you give them an opportunity to encourage us speak into our lives as a church. For all of us, would you instill in us such love for you, such gratitude for the gospel, that it would be continually on our lips. As we'll sing shortly, help us to speak your gospel until our dying breath. We thank you that Jesus' blood covers even our lack to evangelize. And that there's nothing that his saving power cannot redeem in us. We also recognize that as the redeemed, we are called to obey the king. So out of the abundance of joy we receive in the gospel, send us out. And help us encourage one another as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.